book of Titus. If you do not have a copy of the Word of God, there's a copy provided for you right in the seat back in the pew in front of you. And uh, Titus would be in the back third of the Bible. Uh, it will go First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, James. So if you go to Hebrew, a little too far. Revelation, too far, turn left. If you find yourself in Philippians or Ephesians, you need to turn right and go slow. All right? It's a school zone. All right. It's good to be back with you. I appreciate the time off. My wife and I and my family were able to go to Glacier National Park up in Montana. And I realized two things about Montana. Number one, the signs say two things. We love Jesus and we love President Trump. And uh, so... (laughs) Wherever you go up there, I'm not, I'm not joking, signs all over the place, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. This one front end of this house had this huge array of signs, all scripture, had the, the law right in front of it, big Ten Commandments, and I was kind of perplexed, to be honest. And uh, then you go a little farther and, you know, make America great again, and President Trump this, and President Trump that, and lots of things about the other guy. But uh, they're, they're, it, that, that's the two people that you find up there, mostly. Sometimes they're the same one. And, uh, but I'll tell you what else you find. You find a, an amazing creation of God. It is so beautiful up there. So much water and so much timber, so much grass. And they don't even have to water it. There's grass everywhere. Bears eating grass. Deers eating grass. People smoke. I mean, anyway, they're, uh, you know, they like that too. But uh, th- th- it was just amazing. So wonderful time. Got some great rest. Um, my son caught a few fish and, and just, it, uh, it was, uh, it was wonderful. It was good to be cared for. A lot of people were like, pastor, are you okay? We saw the flooding in Yellowstone. And uh, thankfully we weren't in Yellowstone. We covered that base about five years ago, but we were in the Northwestern part of the state. And, uh, it just, the farther you go up, it just gets prettier and prettier and prettier. Uh, we were actually close to the Nor- the, the, uh, the Canadian border and, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, just so beautiful, lots of rain. And, and uh, did you know this? Do you know what the population of the entire state of Montana is? It's like 1 million people. 1.2 million people. Yeah. Just a little bit more than the entire city of San Jose. In the whole state. I looked up, I was like, Jenna, see what the capital, how many people in the capital building? The capital, the capital of Montana, 32,000 people. I was like, What? What's this big? There's only like three or four big towns, Missoula, Bozeman, uh, Billings, and Helena, right? All of them, no bigger than, no bigger than Morgan Hill. One of them is like 54, 57,000 people. And I was shocked. Now, it's a little different. You know, there's five, five or six square miles here in Morgan Hill. There's 50, say 54,000 people, about 50,000 people, right? There, 50,000 people are over like 20 miles. I mean, they're spread out everywhere. Um, your neighbor, you almost have to call long distance too. That's how that's how spread out they are. But uh, anyway, it, it was a, it was a wonderful trip. It's good to be back. It was a little difficult at first, going from about fifty seven to sixty two degrees to a hundred degrees when we came back. And uh, so it's been a, a week of acclimating, lots of deodorant, lots of uh, showers, and trying to stay dry. But uh, anyway, it's good it's good to be home. I, I thank God for the opportunity today to be with you. Titus chapter 2, if you're following on in the Word of God, I want to talk to you today. We've been talking about stewarding life and understanding that life is not ours just because we're alive, but it's actually a gift of God. And everything that we have in this life, the Bible says, is given to us by God, which makes us stewards. Now, steward, as we've been studying for a long time, 
is just a manager of someone else's things. And when God gives us what he gives us, he expects us to be stewards of those things and to manage them, not for our glory, not for our good, but for God's good and for God's glory. And it's required, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that a steward be found faithful. And so as we've talked about a variety of different things, one gift that God has given to us today, uh, specifically that I want to talk about, is his grace. How many are thankful for the grace of Almighty God? stewarding God's grace. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to how many people? To all men. I'm going to read that again. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, that word is sin, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again personally right now for the opportunity to stand here today, for the grace, the health, and the strength to do it. And I offer myself to you, Father, as your mouthpiece, and I pray that you would use me. pray that you would fill me with your spirit. In fact, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to get out of your way so that I could be filled with your spirit and used for your glory. I pray today that, Lord that you would be pleased with what you hear, with what you see in us. And I pray, God, that you would speak to your people. I thank you for these that are here. They could have been anywhere else today, but they decided to be here, and for that I'm grateful. I pray that you would minister to their needs. pray that you'd provide for them. And I pray, God, that you would, as you speak, that you would give us the faith, the courage, and the wisdom to live out what we hear so that we're not hearers only, but doers of the word, lest we be deceived. Bless this time now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked someone for a favor and gotten it? Normally, when someone does a favor for you, it makes whatever you're doing easier. Uh, whether it's a favor moving someone, how many, how many have ever asked, hey, can you help me move? And you're like, oh, uh, you know, I, you're checking your calendar. I, uh, I can't that day because I'm attending the grand opening of my garage door. I won't be able to do it. I'm sorry. You know, when someone asks you for a favor like moving, uh, you, you kind of, you, you got, really got to love that person, let's face it. But, but you get, you, whether it's a favor of moving someone, sometimes people ask for a favor of lending them money. Sometimes it's a favor of putting in a good word for a job, helping someone clean out their garage. That's another one where you really just have to love someone. Whatever it is, though, the favor is normally assisting with something that wouldn't happen otherwise. They need your help. Or it's probably not going to happen. And so they ask. And sometimes you have friends that are good enough friends that they actually give you a hand. They give you a favor. Usually the hardest part about a favor is just asking someone for it. It's like, uh, well, I know that he has a truck, so I'll ask him to move. But I know he really doesn't want to move, so I got to time it right. And you got, you know, it's like when you were a kid and you really wanted something and you waited until mom was in the kitchen. You had to catch her at the right moment. 
and then you ask, hey, mom, can I? And then if she's busy, then she'll say, oh, yeah, whatever. That's the kind of the idea. The hardest part of asking the favor normally is just asking for it. There are a lot of people who have never heard about grace, much less uh, the grace of God. What, what does grace mean anyway? What, what does that mean? When I talk about grace or God's grace, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's called a wage. We all know that. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's called a prize. We're very aware of that. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or meritorious service or high achievements, we call that an award. We're all familiar with that. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, they can win no prize and deserves no reward, yet receives a gift anyway. That's a great picture of God's unmerited favor. That is what we mean when we talk about the grace of God. It is God's unmerited favor. I know that you need something. And I know you're probably not even going to ask for it. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. You don't deserve it, but you need it. And so God's grace is unmerited favor. God's grace is another gift of God. Every day his goodness opens our eyes in life. Do you understand that? Every day we stand on our legs. That's a gift of of Almighty God and grace. Let me ask you something. Since we have God's grace, what are you doing with it? I want to talk about that this morning. We've been studying this matter of stewardship, managing all of God's amazing blessings in our life with purpose and in such a faithful way that people could glorify God. And the question is, am I doing that with what I'm receiving by way of grace, his favor on my life? In the Bible, it looks like this. Nehemiah was tasked by God to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah said, like Ezra said, the good hand of my God was upon me. What's he talking about? Favor. God gave him favor. God gave him the supplies he needed to build the city, to build the walls. God gave them security as they went past. In fact, God had so much favor on them that he let the people in the country uh, surrounding them, the occupants of the country, he let their finances build the wall in the city. What is that? That's the favor of God. I don't know about you, but I could use a favor or two. And I can certainly use the favor of God on my life. When he gives it to me, how am I supposed to steward that uh, to steward that grace as recipients of God's grace? I want us to consider three imperative ways that we can steward God's grace in our life. So take your notes if you have them uh, with you this morning, and I want you to see how we steward God's grace. Number one, I've got to accept it as a gift. I must accept the grace of God as a gift. Look at verse eleven. The Bible says, "For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men." Now remember. In your mind, a favor is something normally we ask for. It is help in accomplishing something that we cannot do on our own. Hence the reason that we're asking for the favor. Now our text reveals a very simple but unknown truth that many people miss. That mankind cannot be saved without God's grace. The Bible says in verse 11, For the grace of God, notice this, that bringeth salvation. You see that? That bringeth salvation, and then notice, hath appeared to all men. Why is that so important? Because all men need to be saved. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs to be saved. And according to that passage and many others that we'll look at, 
that cannot happen without the grace of God. God's grace has appeared to all men. It literally says that the grace of God brought salvation to all men, which means several things. Letter A, salvation is not a wage, it's a gift. That means in order for me to be saved from hell, in order for me to be forgiven of my sin, in order for me to be allowed into the presence of God, I cannot do enough things. That's a wage. I can't win enough prizes. I can't earn enough awards. God doesn't say that the prize or the award or the wage has come unto all men. No, notice what it says. It says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Listen to the Bible in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages, we know that word, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Bible says that by Moses came the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter five and verse eight tells us that God commended his love toward us. Listen to this fact. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the beautiful part about this is that God's favor uh, is that uh, the, the great part about God's favor is that he knew that we wouldn't ask for it. Now, I want you to think about that just for a minute. God in his infinite wisdom knew, the Bible says in two different places, that he beholded the hearts of men and none seeked after God. He knew he wouldn't ask for it, but he gave it to us anyway. That's kind of why it's called grace. That's kind of why it's called unmerited favor. He knew that we wouldn't ask for it, so he did it. What did he do? He sent Jesus to die for us. He shed his grace on us, knowing even that people wouldn't ask for it. Knowing that. He did it all for us. Jesus Christ has provided what religion or any other person or any institution could not provide. uh, That is salvation by grace through faith alone. If I'm going to steward the favor of God. what, What was the favor? Jesus knew that you and I were sinners. And he put that sin and the punishment of that sin on Jesus Christ, on the cross. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us. And he died paying the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. He died for our sin. Now, he did that as a favor. Now, what do people do with it? You see, that's part of stewarding the grace of God. If I'm going to steward, if I'm going to manage that, I have to assess and say, okay, this is what God did for me. So it's that simple. The simple task of me trusting God in his word that I could be saved, that I could be forgiven. I've never heard of that. How can, how, how can, how has nobody ever explained that to me? I don't know, but here's what I know. That grace is given to all men and salvation has appeared to all men. Now, if I'm going to take advantage of it, I've got to accept it. It's a gift. God says, I love you. I know you're not seeking after me, but I'm seeking you. Now, here's what my gift is. It's my son, Jesus. Now, would you take my son, Jesus, to be your only savior, not someone else, not a religion, not your own self thinking I can do it on my own, but my son. God says, if you'll do that, then you've received my gift. 
because salvation is not a wage, it's a gift. Secondly, salvation is only through receiving Jesus Christ alone. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. It's in your notes. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Listen, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men. Listen to this, whereby we must be saved. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth who the Lord Jesus and and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The fact is salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Would you turn for a moment in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3? Romans chapter 3. If you're not familiar with the text where you are in Titus, just go to the left a little bit, and as you filter through those little letters to the churches, you'll find the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, in verse, we'll begin in verse 23. You see, as a Bible-believing Christian, I owe it not only to the Lord, but to the Word of God and God the Father to make much of Jesus Christ. Because grace came by Jesus Christ. And so when we mention grace, you cannot mention the grace of God without mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's a great acronym for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I am allowed the riches of salvation because Jesus gave his life for me. And Romans chapter 3 is a great great text to help us with that. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 23. For all have sinned. Now look up here, class. The, the verse that we looked at in Titus says that the grace of God hath appeared to all men. This verse says that all men have something else in common. It's called sin. For all have sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified, notice this, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be the propitiation. It's a big word, means Satisfaction. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, uh, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier, watch this, of him which believeth in Jesus. Here's what it means to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That means to renounce everything else that you think that may save you. In order for God to justify my life, And to be able to have my sins gone, I can't use someone else's name. Right? I can't. I'm not going to stand before God and say, God, I need to be led into heaven because I'm a member at Shadow Mountain Baptist Church. Or I'm a member of Morgan Hill Methodist or of Park Hill Presbyterian. That's That's not the name that matters. According to the Bible... The just one can only justify if I am fully accepting the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice on my behalf. Now, if a person wants to be saved and receive the gift of salvation, they don't ask God for a favor. Now, some of you are like, they don't ask God for a favor. They simply call on the one who brought the favor to them, Jesus Christ. And I'll say, hey, God, can you, give me, can you give me a favor? And, and I've met a lot of people. God, can you save me out of jail? Can you save me from this wrecked marriage? Can you save me from this health, uh, uh, this, these health problems? Can you save me from all this? Can you save me from that? That is not the same of calling on the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, help me, saved, according to the Bible. Which means, letter C, the only alternative to God's grace is to reject Jesus Christ. To say, I don't believe that Jesus alone can save me. I don't believe that God's favor alone can save me. I have to be involved. I have to do something. I have to, it's not what I've been taught. Well, look, I can't account for what you've been taught, but I can count for what's truth. And the Bible says that I either receive the Lord Jesus Christ or I reject him. Revelation 21, 8, but the fearful, notice this, and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I would not be a Bible preacher if I didn't mention the consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to talk about God's love. It is. It's amazing to talk about his grace because it is amazing. But to say no to the favor of God, I don't need your son. I need something else. I need someone else. I need something that I can be involved in. God says that I'm sorry. That's not my gift. I have given you my only begotten son. He came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world, listen, through him might be saved. He didn't come to condemn. We're already condemned. That's why it's called a favor. His unmerited favor says, listen, I've given you a gift. Now, if you want to steward it, you've got to accept it as a gift. Secondly, I not only need to receive the gift of God as a gift, or the grace of God as a gift. Secondly, I must learn from it as a teacher. I must learn from it. Look at verse 11 again in our notes, or in, our, in the word of God. Back in Titus chapter 2, the Bible says, For the grace of God that, appeareth, uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. And then the next verse says, Teaching. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. There it is again. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and sin and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, for those of you that don't really know me, you need to understand that school was just not my thing growing up. I didn't like school. There were several of us that believed that the only good parts about school were lunch, recess, play dates at the end of the year. That's about it. The rest was just endurance. It was just a marathon of periods and going to school and coming home to school. It was just kind of a thing that we endured. You could have the library. You could take the classroom, the, clock, the chalkboards, the seat work, and the homework. I just didn't like school. Was there anybody else that suffered through that like me? Anybody? No, just one? Oh, man. One support group. We ain't going to make it, Ray. I didn't like school, but I, I will tell you that I did learn some things. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, so you didn't like school, so you're probably ignorant. You're just, you're just dumb. You don't, you don't know anything. Well, that's not true. I didn't like it, but I did learn some things. I didn't learn those things because I was a good student necessarily. That's not why I learned them. But I did learn because I had some really good teachers. And the best teachers were able to convince me somehow, okay, that what they were teaching, I really needed in life. Mrs. Swanson, my fifth grade teacher, was one of those. Mrs. Love, my first grade teacher, was one of those. Miss Oldham, my third grade teacher, was one of them. We won't talk about Mrs. Quast, <laughs> okay? Mrs. Moore was another one. Mr., oh, his name just went right out of my building, uh, right out of my building, out of my head. I can see his face. I can't call his name. 
he, 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 he taught me that there was something about math I needed to know. And, and at the time, I didn't like any of it. All right? Um, they taught me that. Now, our text tells us very plainly that the grace of God is a teacher. Look at the first word in verse 12. It says, teaching who? Us. Who's the us? Well, since you brought it up, anybody that has the grace of God in their life. Anybody that's received Jesus Christ as their Savior. That grace, the grace that put Jesus on the cross, the grace that calls out in the, in the, in the city streets, the grace and the wisdom that beckons people to come, that grace and what God had to do to Jesus on the cross teaches us. Notice what it says. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Notice what it says in this present world. You know the great part about truth is that it's always present and relevant. It doesn't say that you should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the first century only. It doesn't say only during the Reformation. It doesn't say only at the best part of the 80s, which is the greatest decade of all time. It doesn't say only in this part. No, it says the present world. What's that mean? In the world we're living in. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter what we see. Doesn't matter what we hear. God says the world that you are alive in, my grace is trying to teach you something. And I want to teach you. The truth is that God's favor, his grace tells us that there is a better life to live than the one that he saved us from. Life that abounds with more grace and blessing when we learn from the master teacher, howbeit when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. That's the kind of favor I want. Now here's the problem. The question is, for every believer, is have we learned anything from the grace of God? What have you and I learned from God's grace? Well, letter A, hopefully we need to learn to deny some wrong things. The grace of God says, no, there is a line. There is right and wrong. As soon as there is dark and light and, and black and white, I'm telling you there are some wrong things. Notice what it says. It says, teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world. That is the world system. The things that the world sounds off, the things that, that the world represents, the things that are, that are promoted that are ungodly. God says, don't love that. Love not the world. Listen, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The Bible says that the grace of God says this is what is ungodly. This is what is worldly. This is what is full of the world's lust. And I'm telling you, deny it and don't love it. That's what the grace of God teaches us. Now, the, here's the great part about being a preacher this morning. I don't have to stand here and list all those things. I don't have to. I could. And we could be here for the rest of the afternoon. But I don't have to. You know why? Because God already has. He's already pointed out in his world, in his word, listen, I want you to look, be able to look at some things because of my grace and say, that's ungodly. I'm going to deny it. To love it is to pursue it. Would you agree? 
I'm not going to pursue it. I'm not going to put it on a pedestal. I'm not going to meditate on it. I want to deny it. Why? Because it's ungodly. It's anti-God. It's opposed to anything that God is for, which is the love of the Father. And so it teaches me the grace of God, the favor that he gave on me. It said, listen, I loved you to save you, but not so that you could stay the same, that you would learn to deny some things, the things that are wrong in life. The Bible says in James chapter one, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away. Listen, of his own lust and enticed. Then when that lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Isn't it amazing how smart God is? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, some of you probably have children. You may have spouses. You may have family members that know everything. But they don't. But there's a God that does. We have a God that knows everything. He knows what you had for breakfast. I don't know that. He knows what you had for dinner last night. I don't know that. He knows what you're thinking about right now. He knows what you thought about last week. He knows what we did last week. Now, how can you argue with a God that knows everything? The fact is you may try today, but friend, there's going to come a day when there'll be no more arguing. We're going to stand before him, the God of truth. And we'll all know what he knows that day, everything about ourselves that we have even tried to forget. God says, look, I know what that life brings you, death. It doesn't start there. It starts with the temptation and the lust. And that lust, when it's conceived, is going to bring forth an action. It's called sin, which is opposed to God. That's ungodliness. And the end of that is death. Something always has to die. God says, I know that. I want you to stay ignorant of that. I want you to trust me, Adam. I want you to trust me, Eve. That tree, you don't need. You don't need that tree. Help me, help me. You don't need that tree. Eve, you do not need that tree. In fact, Adam, I don't want you to eat off that tree. You can have everything else, everything else. Good night. Every other thing in the garden, I've given it to you for meat. You can eat all of it, but that tree, don't do it. Why? Because I know what happens when you do. And the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And somewhere along the way, since the beginning of man's fall, we have decided that the grace and wisdom of God is not enough. That's a problem. We have decided that God is just not as smart as he thinks he is. My dad used to say that. You're not as smart as you think you are. He used to say things like this. You're a little too big for your britches right now, and you better knock it down a notch, or I'm going to. Right? Sometimes I think that's the way Christians are with God. We think that we know so much better. We think that we can outmaneuver and outsmart the wisdom of the omniscient God. And God says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I've given you favor because I love you. And that favor and all that I've done and all that I'm saying is supposed to teach you. Now, will you please learn? But God, I don't like school. Nobody really loves school. Well, I suppose there's a couple of valedictorians somewhere that do, but we don't really love it. I certainly did it, but I did know some things because there were some teachers that convinced me somehow that I needed to learn some things. The grace of God teaches us 
We need to learn to deny some wrong things. Secondly, we need to learn to delight in the right things. Look at what it says in verse 12, that we should live soberly, righteous, righteously, and godly. What does soberly mean? It, it means to be aware of your surroundings and your role in that surrounding. It means to be aware of what's going on and what your purpose is in that surrounding. Let me ask you a question. As a child of God, what's your purpose in a world of ungodliness? Well, according to this verse, notice what it says, that we should live soberly, oh, and righteously, oh, and godly. So the world says live ungodly. God says, no, you're my kids. I want you to live like me, live godly. The world says, who cares what's going on around you? Just eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you'll die. It's not, not that big of a deal. God's going to let everybody into heaven anyway, or there is no God. You're an animal. Stack like animals. That's an ungodly way. That's an unrighteous way. And God says, no, I want you to live soberly and righteously and godly because somebody's got to show those people what my favor looks like. We need to learn to delight in the right things. Psalm 19 and verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them uh, that are that are bowed down the lord loveth righteousness psalm 24 and verse 3 who shall ascend into the hill of the lord or who shall stand in his holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully watch verse 5 he shall receive the blessing of the lord and righteousness from the god of his salvation when I look at the cross of Christ, I'm reminded that there is a way that the world is going that leads to death. And Jesus died to save us from that way. Psalm 40 and verse 2. He brought me also up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. He wants to teach me the way and where I should go. Though I have not come this way heretofore, God says, I will show you the way of righteousness. And as you go on that righteous path, the path of the righteous shall shine brighter and shall shine brighter. Every day since that day, the Holy Spirit of God wants to teach us what is most important, what isn't. What needs more attention, what doesn't. How to be more like Jesus Christ. And he teaches us that the world what the world calls good and right and pleasure and fulfilling and promising is a lie. That's what the grace of God teaches us, is that the devil is a tremendous salesman. How many have ever been sold by the devil? How many have ever bought? My hand's up. Yeah. Why? Because he is very good at what he does. And we are very good at trying to defeat him without the grace of God. The grace of God teaches all of that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, listen, righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You don't have to live for the lie of the world. You can live in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be a good steward of God's grace, I've got to accept it as a gift. Have you accepted that gift? Secondly, I must learn from it as a teacher. Are you being a student of grace? Thirdly, and I'm done. If I'm going to be a good steward of God's grace, I can't waste it. I must not waste it. Let me say it like this for some of us today. We must not waste it anymore. I've wasted enough grace in my life. I don't know about you, but I've wasted enough grace. It'd be okay with me and God for the rest of my life. I didn't waste any more grace. He's done far better to me than what he's got in return. 
And if I'm going to be a good steward, if I'm going to be faithful at managing the grace that he's given to me, then I can't waste any more. I must not waste anymore. Second Corinthians 6 and verse 1. So is the Bible talking about? Yeah. When we then as workers together with him beseech you also that, listen, you receive not the grace of God in vain. Have you ever done something in vain? Have you? Have you ever seen somebody do something in vain? Well, guess what? Christians can receive the grace of God the same way, in vain. They've got it, but it means nothing now. It's empty. That word vain is is empty. It's it's a vapor, gone. It, 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 it's 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 worthless. The grace of God, worthless way. You just talked about it. Be amazing. It is. It's unmerited favor. It's salvation in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But apparently, there are Christians who have been living over two thousand years that have taken the grace of God and done nothing with it. The Bible continues, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, Paul said, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, listen, but the grace of God, which was with me. There's a work to be done as we talked about in our Sunday school hour. I hope that you'll come back next Sunday for Sunday school because it's an amazing lesson. I got to finish it. There's a work to be done. It's called winning the lost. And that work can only be accomplished by God's grace. Ministry can only be accomplished by God's grace. Now, I want you to understand this point now. I must not waste the grace of God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what knowledge you have of God or the word of God. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't even matter what you're planning to do. Today, you're sitting at the intersection of grace. And God has provided that for you. And in order that we not waste it, I need you to hear me kind of beat the devil to a punch here just for a moment. First of all, letter A, some people waste the grace of God because of sin. And they can't get over it. I want you to see letter A, God's grace overcomes all sin. All of it. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I know that I'm saved, but I've got this in my past. It's okay. God's grace covers that. The Bible tells us, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What does that mean? That the grace of God covers all sin, all the time, forever. Hallelujah. That's the reality of living in the grace of God. So I can't use sin as an excuse as to why I can't live by grace. Somebody say amen. Why? Because God says my grace is sufficient. My grace overcomes all sin. You can't sin away the grace of God. The grace overcomes that sin. If you're lost, God's grace can save anybody. You don't know what I've done. Have you killed somebody? Because God testifies in the Bible that God used three murders in a tremendous way. And by the way, isn't that the standard? Isn't that normally the standard? Are you going to go to heaven? Yes. How do I know that? Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Well, I've never killed anybody. They throw that out immediately. I've never killed anybody. Like, that's the standard. Well, that means that the three good men in the Bible are going to hell. Or they're there now. And God used someone who's going to hell to write the Bible. That can't be true. So 
if the unbelieving and the liars are going to die and go to hell with the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, and, and, and all of that, and the unbelieving, then God says, sin is sin. I'm just telling you the grace covers it all. And I can save to the guttermost, so to speak. If you're lost, God's grace can save anyone. If you're backslidden, if you're backslidden, God's grace can overcome your deepest valley. Doesn't matter how deep it is. Uh, I, there was a couple of grades going up to Montana, a few hills. So we had to pull our trailer. I'm so glad I had a truck powerful enough to do it. But I wasn't sitting along the side of the road going, man, I I pulled too big of a load. God's grace said, I've already taken the load all the way. You don't have to worry about it. I've done it. And I did it for you. Okay. You went back over there and you realized I was right. You're learning. You realize that you should be denying that. You realize that you shouldn't love that. Now, here's grace. I still love you. And I want you back over here. Why don't you just come? And the devil's got you nodded. God says, look, I don't care if you're lost. I can save you. And if I can save anyone, I can certainly bring you back. Ask Peter. Ask Peter what it was like. You could overcome your deepest valley. You just have to ask yourself, what have you done that the blood of Jesus Christ didn't pay for? The answer is nothing. First Samuel twelve twenty, and Samuel said unto the people, fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. I don't want to, I don't want to waste the grace of God. So I've got to remember that God's grace overcomes all sin. How many are thankful for that this morning? Secondly, God's grace overpowers every circumstance. If you're not going to waste the grace of God on sin, don't waste the grace of God because of circumstances. Don't waste it. It's there not only for sin, but for circumstances. One of the wonderful aspects of God's grace is that I'm never done learning from it. Let me say it a different way. I'm never done being amazed by it. When you don't think you can keep going, grace says you can. When you think you, can, you can't get over it, grace says you can get over it. When you think in your heart, I can't forgive them, grace says, I forgave you. You can forgive them. Why? Because grace overcomes when you're discouraged and doubting and maybe even in despair. Grace says, lo, I'm with you always. Be content with such things as you have. For I have said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. The man of God that decided his circumstances were so overwhelming. God just changed my circumstances. God said no three times. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to get a hold of one thing. Learn one thing, Paul. Learn from my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, God said, is made perfect when you're weak. So Paul changed his mind. What did Paul do? He learned from grace. And here's what he said. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak by the grace of God, then am I strong. Let me give you a third thing if we're not going to waste the grace of God. God's grace is not to be wasted on sin, certainly not to be wasted on circumstance. It shouldn't be wasted on service because God's grace is offered to every task. Some of us try to, let me break it down a little bit. Some of us try to be good employees without the grace of God. Some of us try to be good friends without the grace of God. Some of us try to be servants to God without the grace of God. Some of us try to be a good testimony without the grace of God. Some of us try to do a lot of things without the grace of God. Somehow you've got it all figured out. You've got a plan. And if you just stick to that plan, even if you have to modify your own plan, you'll get through it without the grace of God. And yet it was the Apostle Paul, the great man of God, that said, I am only what I am by the grace of God. It's not because of me. It's because I labored more abundantly than they all, that the grace that's working in me might be manifest to the glory of God. Second Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto, watch, every good work some people don't serve the lord because they're wasting the grace of god that's why god gives us grace it's the power of god in our life that's the favor watch moses could not do what he did without the favor of god david doesn't slay the giant jericho doesn't fall nothing the the, the lions in the lion's den their mouths are not stopped without the favor of god And Christians to think that somehow they can live their life, raise their children, have a happy marriage and go through life without the grace of God is beyond me. And yet we all stand here before God this morning, guilty of waste. This world is turned upside down about trying to stay green and recycle this and recycle that and articles about which country is the most green and what they're doing with plastic and why we shouldn't be drilling oil and all this kind of stuff and recycling, 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 all this kind of stuff. Okay? Because of waste. I wonder in the backside of some churches, some backside of some houses, if there isn't just a big pile of grace sitting out there. It's just been wasted. And it's all a reflection of Jesus. Is is my love not enough? Is my grace not enough? I don't want to waste any more grace. You see, the reality is we've all made choices when it comes to God's grace. But all that's behind us this morning. What lies before us is the question, what are we going to do with it now? I could sit here and spend the rest of the afternoon talking about mistakes that we've all made. We can all do that. God says, look, I, I, okay, I'm done with your mistakes. I put them there. I nailed them to the cross. The Bible says, taking them out of the way. And thank God for that. Now I want to know what you're going to do with it today. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's what we need to do today. James 4 verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, 
but he giveth grace to the humble. We used to sing a song, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. Ye who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for a few moments of prayer? Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for grace. Lord, the greatest gift that we ever got from you was your grace that came through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for what we do not deserve. We thank you, God, for the truth this morning. I pray that you've touched hearts. I ask now that you would do a great work and continue that work in all of us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can I just ask you a question this morning? Do you know for sure if you died today that you'd be in heaven? Do you know for sure? Have you received the free gift of grace? Do you have the Lord Jesus living inside of you? If that's the case, and you have accepted the free gift of God's grace, could I ask you this morning, what have you done with it? Maybe today God's touched your heart. I want to pray for you. I want to be a good pastor. I want to help you because I love you and I'm thankful that you're here. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, like yourself, I've received of the grace of God. I'm saved and I know it. But I need to be a better steward of his grace. And I'm praying right now that God would help me by his grace do that. And would you pray for me? If that's your testimony this morning, You've received the grace of God. You know it, but God's touched your heart about stewarding that grace. Would you just let me pray for you? Would you just slip up your hand real quick? Could I just see those hands anywhere? I know I'm saved. I know it. I just need to be a better steward of grace. Can I see your hand real quick? Anybody like that? Now you can put your hands down. Thank you for that. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Haynes, I don't know for sure if I die today, I'd be in heaven. I've never heard anything about the grace of God like that but I need it. Would you pray for me? You may even have some questions about that. Say, Pastor Haynes, pray for me. This is all so new, but I want to know more about the grace of God. I want to know how I can know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. If that's your prayer, would you just slip up your hand this morning? Anybody like that? I'd like to pray for you. Would you let me? Could I pray for you today? Pastor, here's my hand. Just pray for me. I won't come to you. I will not point you out. I promise. I will not shame you, but I would like to help you. Anybody here like that? Pastor, pray for me. Here's my hand. Anybody at all? All right. In a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray for all of us who have raised our hands. And I wonder if you'd like to find a place at this altar or maybe even at your seat this morning during the invitation. And you'd like to just bow your head and your heart to God and say, God, first I want to thank you for your grace. You've been amazing in my life and my life is what it is today because of you. Lord, I've not been a good steward of your grace. And I want to be a better one. I ask for your forgiveness. I need your help. Maybe you'd like to pray something like that to the Lord this morning and just pour your heart out. If that's your heart, I pray that God would do a work in you. Let's all stand together as I pray. The invitation is open. Heavenly Father, I do pray now for these that have raised their hands. God, you've, you've spoken to all of us, me included. And Lord, we've, we've, we've done a bad job of stewarding grace. We confess that to you today. We need your help. Your word says that we can come boldly with the right spirit for one reason, that we may obtain grace and mercy to help 
God, we sure need it today. We need you. We need your help. We confess that to you. We need your wisdom. We confess that to you. We need your mercy. Oh, God, how we need your grace. Would you pour it out on us this morning? Would you help us as believers to humble ourselves? May you not find a resistant heart in the place. I ask this in your precious name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, some are here at the altar already. If you need to come, could I just invite you real quick just to step out, just to spend a minute or two at this altar before God. There's just something about humbling ourselves amongst ourselves that God could have a work within ourselves. If you need to come this morning, you need to come right now.